Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't, the scripture we're going to be looking at is in the bulletin on page 6. There's a place to take notes on page 7. And what we're going to do today is we're actually just going to look at the first two verses um, that are there in your bulletin, verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 6. Okay? Um, And so this is Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. Friends, listen. This is God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is God's word. We're beginning a new series today for the month of August. It's called Gospel Giving. Gospel Giving. The elders asked me to do a couple of things. They, they wanted me to do a series on financial giving, uh, but they didn't want us to leave our study of the fullness of the gospel. What we've been going over the last four months has been so rich and so encouraging that they don't want to leave that either. And so for this series, um, I thought, well, why don't we bring these two things together? and ask ourselves. So for this series, I decided to ask and answer the question, how does financial giving relate to the gospel? Okay, this glorious, amazing news that God came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again for our salvation. How does that affect, how does that relate to financial giving? We're going to answer that question over the course of the next four weeks. Now, I feel like I always have to say this. Uh, When churches talk about money, some people get really nervous, and they are right to get nervous, right? There are so many churches and pastors who have abused the Bible's teaching on money, who have abused and manipulated people to get their money. But that is not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't use money as a manipulation tool. He doesn't use guilt as a manipulation tool. What Jesus does when he talks about money is he wants to lead us to life, okay? Jesus warns us against the dangers of money, okay? And part of this is because Jesus knows that many of us go to bed at night worried about money. He knows that. Jesus knows that many of us argue with our spouses over money. Or if we're in significant relationships, we argue with our partners over money, And many of us live in fear that we don't have enough money. This is why Jesus talks about money. It's because he knows the issues. And Jesus gives us a perspective that will set us free. That will set us free. And that's what we're going to see. And so I also want to say as we begin this series that I think it's interesting. Some of Jesus' teachings are easier to follow than others. Or, Or maybe I should say they're easier to accept than others, okay? There are some times where Jesus says things that we really agree with. You know, he'll call us to be something and we're like, even though we know we're not that, we like being called to it because we want to be that, right? When Jesus says, love your neighbors as yourself, we're kind of all in on that. Most of us agree that we want to be loving neighbors. We want to love the people around us. And so we don't mind, even when we fall short, we don't mind Jesus telling us to do something that we're not doing well, okay? Does that make sense? Um, But then there's stuff that Jesus says 
that we don't want him to say. There are things that Jesus talks about, and we just wish he wouldn't. <laughs> you know, we wish he wouldn't talk about money. We wish the Bible didn't talk about me because we don't want necessarily to be in a place where Jesus wants us to be with regards to money. And so I just want to say that up front, that there are times when Jesus says, and, and at those times, if what the Bible has to say about money is something that you don't want to follow, then I would encourage you just to be honest about that. Okay? Just to be honest about that. Um, because you have to remember that being a Christian it means following Jesus. It means following him wherever he leads. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to follow Jesus when he leads you in a place you don't want to go, then who's the leader in the relationship? I, I feel like it's really important for us, especially in our day and age, it seems very, very prevalent that we love Jesus when he is blessing the direction that we want to go. But we struggle when Jesus asks us to go in a different direction. And I think it's at those places that we need to recognize, you know what, this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Because after all, he's God. He's God. And so he deserves it just because he's God. Whatever he says, we ought to do. But then, when you understand, see, here's what's amazing is that, and, and this is the first place the gospel relates to financial giving, is that the same Jesus that tells us about money and that instructs us and warns us and guides us with regards to money is the same Jesus who came and lived for you. It's the same Jesus who, who looks you in the eye with incredible compassion knows the way you struggle, knows how difficult it is to be you at times. Um, and he died for your sins. Right? It's the same Jesus who serves you, washes your feet, and washes your soul. Um, that's the same Jesus. And we have to remember that. Okay? We've got to remember that when Jesus begins to say things to us that we might not want to follow. Okay? Because in the same way that we can trust him with our salvation, we should be able to trust him with our money. Okay, And so, I honestly believe that if you embrace what Jesus has to say about money, if you embrace the Bible's teaching on money, it will radically reduce the amount of anxiety in your life. The stress that you feel, so many of the things that we struggle with, um, over anxiety, over worry, with stuff, um, you will be less worried if you're in a relationship or you're married, your marriage will be happier. You will be less stressed. Um, Jesus' teaching will change your life. And so I think over the course of this month that some of you are going to have radical transformations. I believe that because you're going to listen to what Jesus says and you're going to start following him and God is going to show up in the process, in your life, in ways that he hasn't before because you haven't followed him before in this area of your life. And I honestly believe, I, I believe that God is going to work powerfully in your lives if you're willing to listen and follow your Savior, okay? And so I want to see some points um, and, uh, and give you some points as we walk through and begin this series. The first two points are going to deal with um, just sort of like introduction to the series, and then we're going to dive in to these, to these two verses in Matthew 6, okay? And so first... 
I want you to see that money represents choice. Okay, in the area of gospel giving, money represents choice. Okay, what is money? When you look at all that the Bible says about money, bottom line at what is money? I think money is choice. Okay, money represents the options that we have. Okay, every day, every week, every month, we make decisions, we make choices all the time with our money every day. What we buy and what we don't buy. What we have, what we choose to live without. It's what we want for our lives, what we hope we can get. So much of this revolves around money. And our money choices reveal what's most important to us. Okay? They actually reveal what we're after, what we long for. They show us really who we are. Okay? And so money represents choice. So second, I want to review. There are money choices that we can make that will actually help you experience God. Okay? You can make decisions with your money that will enable you to experience God. Okay? We've gone over this in past sermon series. We did a series a couple years ago called Financially Blessed to Be a Blessing. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, we're going to see if we can put that back up on our website. If you want to chase it down in the resources, I'll send you an email this week. Um, But during that time, we looked at all that the Bible said about the ways that you can spend your money so that you can experience God with money. Um, Every time you spend money in these ways, you can know that God is pleased, you can know that God is honored, and you can actually experience closeness with God, okay? And so there are four ways, four money choices that experience God. And again, this is just review, okay? I've preached sermons on this in the past. You can, like I said, I'll put them, we'll put them up on the, uh, on the website. But there you have Bible guidelines on how to use money. So first and foremost, the Bible says you need to tithe 10% of your money to the church, to your church. And this, these, these verses are listed there in your bulletin on page six, right? Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus talking. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so what Jesus is doing, he's confronting the religious leaders, and he's saying, man, you guys are doing this tithe thing all the way down to the finest minutiae. Cumin, dill, these are tiny, tiny little spices. They had 10 spices, and they would take one out and give it to God. I mean, that kind of thing. And Jesus says, man, you go all the way down to the nitty-gritty, and you tithe. But you've neglected the big stuff. Justice, mercy, it's just crazy, faithfulness. But then look what Jesus says. He says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay? And so here's Jesus saying that tithing is part of God's commandment. This is in the New Testament. This is Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew saying tithing is part of how we experience God with our worship, with our money, with our money. And so the idea behind that, just really quickly, the Bible teaches that God owns everything. And everything that we have is a gift from him. And so the tithe, he calls us to give him back 10% of what we make um, so that what this does, this shows that ultimately we know that our money comes from God. And we want to honor him with it. And so God wants us to give to support the church and the spiritual leadership that is feeding you and caring for your soul. Okay? So that's how tithing works. Um, And so he says, tithe to the church. Second, use money to provide for your needs. 
Okay, use it to provide for your needs. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, the principle there is that work is the means by which we earn money. Um, work is the means by which we provide for our needs. And whether you are the CEO of a company or whether the work that you do is gathering aluminum cans and, and plastic bottles to recycle them, and that's your means of support, the Bible says that work is how you make money so that you can provide for your needs. Okay, so it takes care of your needs and your families. And any time, every time you spend money to provide for your needs, you have an opportunity to commune with God in that decision. In the past, we've talked about changing the way you think about your credit card, right? If you use a credit card, every time you swipe that thing, if you're buying groceries, remember that God is providing for you through the work that you have done, okay? Um, third, the Bible says you want to use your money to care for others, okay? And this is 2 Corinthians 8, 3 to 5. This is an example that the Apostle Paul highlights. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so these were Christian folks that knew that there was a great need and they wanted, they begged for the opportunity to give, to care for the needs of others. Okay, and so when we do that again, this is another way, another choice that you can make where you can experience God. And then the fourth one, this one actually, I think, is kind of surprising for most people. They don't expect churches to talk about this, um, but it's in the Bible, so we've got to talk about it. The Bible says that when you celebrate God's goodness in life with your money, you can experience God. Okay, look at Psalm 115, verse 16. It says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. This is just incredible. Right? What this says is that the earth and all that it contains is this gift of God to us. God lives up in heaven. Right? He reigns from heaven. The heavens belong to him, but the earth is a gift to you. And when God made the earth, if you read Genesis, it's teeming with life. It is abundant. It's multiplying. It's, it's extravagant. It's so much more than we need. Right? There's so much that God has made that is for nothing but our pleasure. Right? I mean, you think about just the beauty, the grandeur, the majesty, the size, the scope, the variety that God has built into the world. It's because that's the kind of God He is. It's because God doesn't just want us to live. God wants us to enjoy life. God is not a God of, I'll give you just enough. You might be a little, I mean, God is a God of, I will bless you abundantly, and I want you to enjoy the abundance of what I've made. And so when you spend your money on stuff that you don't need because you have money to spend on stuff you don't need, God is honored and wants to join with you in that decision. He wants to celebrate with you his abundance in your life, okay? And so these are the ways 
These are the ways the Bible says that when you, every time you make a decision to spend money in any one of these ways, if you remember God in that decision, you can draw closer to him. You can experience communion with him. And so again, we've preached on this before, but I just, it's important to review this because this is the backdrop against Jesus' teachings, okay? This is Jesus' understanding of what it means to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, okay, as we're going to see, as we're going to see. Um, and so let's read verses 19 and 20 again, because again, remember, remembering that this is what the Bible teaches on this. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus is teaching that money can either grow your relationship with God or it can wither your relationship with God based on how you spend it, based on what you do with it. And so the bottom line of what Jesus says in these two verses is that stuff doesn't last, okay? It's not super complicated. But Jesus just wants you to know stuff doesn't last. Okay, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, because moth and rust destroy it. Thieves break in and steal it. You could buy stuff, but it's not going to last. Um, I think our closets, our garages, our storage units, and our landfills are testimony to this truth. Okay? Stuff just doesn't last. And, and even though, it's kind of weird because even though so much of the stuff that we have now actually does last, it's impervious to moth or rust, you know, um, thieves don't always break in and steal it, um, it still doesn't last. Today, it seems like our culture um, convinces us, no, 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 that's old. No, 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 that's, that's old. That's, that's, you got to get rid of it. You need something newer, you need something better. Right? And so Jesus wants to remind us that stuff doesn't last. Okay? Um, here's something that's... I think, powerful enough to change the way you think, okay? Um, think about the last time you thought, oh man, I really want that. Whatever it was, right? I mean, it could be, could be this, right? I need a phone. It could be this. I need an iPad, right? Think about the last time, or, or it could be a dress, right? It could be a toy. It could be a game. It could be uh, whatever. Um, and you think, okay, if I just had this, you know, I really, really want this because I just, I, I just want it, right? It, it, the last time you thought that, um, inside of you, you had a thought that, okay, if I could have that, that would make me happy. And then you get it, and typically, it depends on what it is, it might last a time, but at some point, it's, it, it's not going to last. Okay, and when that happens, like you have to understand, then you just end up moving on to the next thing. Okay, and and so many of us have gotten to a place where we just we get it. That's just how life works. And so okay, yeah, yeah. So I got this phone, knowing it's not going to last more than a couple years, 
and then I'll get another phone, and then I'll get another phone, and then I'll get another phone. And what we're doing when we go through this process, what we're doing when we go through this process is that we might not believe, we're not, we, not, we might not be saying that stuff lasts, contrary to what Jesus is saying, but we might be just thinking, you know what, my life's happiness is going to be based on me continuing to get the next thing. Okay? And so, yeah, stuff doesn't last, but the acquiring of stuff does. And sometimes we make decisions that actually crown that as a strategy in our lives. Okay? Some of us believe in our hearts and live our lives as though the acquiring of things will make us happy. And Jesus wants us to know, look, stuff doesn't last. The acquiring of stuff is not the answer. Okay? What's interesting is that Jesus says, if you buy things to have them, if, you, if you're aiming for stuff, it's not going to satisfy because it doesn't last. But Jesus does say in verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What does that mean? How do we do that? Well, when we spend money the way the Bible tells us to spend money, then our money choices will last. Okay? Follow me. Follow me here on this. Um, looking back over these four biblical uses for money. Um, when you tithe to the church, right, you are giving to God's kingdom. You are supporting the work that God is doing in the world. Okay? And so when you give to the church, um, you're giving to something that's going to last forever. Okay? Every fruit, every righteous act that this church promotes in life, every changed life, Every renewed life, every maturing life is a fruit of God's kingdom that will last forever. <clears throat> Second, when you spend your money to provide for your needs, okay, when you buy groceries, when you pay your bills and you're providing for your needs, you have a chance to remember that God is providing for you, that God has given you the strength to work, the ability to get income, and you, your view of God as provider deepens. Okay? You might not think about this, but I'm inviting you to. Every time you pay a bill, every time you spend money to meet your needs, you can see that God is there as your provider. That will last. That relationship with God that you have will deepen, and that will last forever. Every time you give to help someone else, right, when you care for others, it stays with you, right? The stuff, when you spend money to support someone else, you buy somebody else groceries or you, you help out in a pinch, you, you, you help meet a need, you remember that. It stays with you. There's an affirmation from God that comes from that. Um, plus, in that moment, you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You get to be the one that God provides through. Jesus says, you know, every time you fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, visited the uh, imprisoned, you did it to me. And so every time you spend money to care for others, you care for Jesus. That lasts forever. And then celebrate. 
Every time you spend money on things you don't need, right, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to experience the face of God that is exuberantly excited about abundance. Like, I don't know what you think about when you think about God. I don't know what image comes into your mind. I don't know what, how you picture, uh, if you picture him somber, I mean, if you picture him, I mean, and there are places where that's appropriate, but God made this world. And when you spend $5 on a cup of coffee because it's blended with chocolate and banana, you know, God put that stuff in the earth. And people made in his image put these things together and realize this would be a wonderful gift, right? And this is the image, this is the face that God has, okay? And I think, I mean, obviously, I think some of you are already thinking this, that when you see God in the goodness of your life, in the abundance, yes, as you draw near to him, there will be times where God says, hey, you know what? I think that maybe you want to reduce the amount of money that you're spending in this celebrate category. Because I think there are other ways that I want to bless you and use you to bless others. Okay? But in all these ways, when we spend money thinking about this, this is a way to express your faith. Okay? It's a way to spend your money by faith, knowing that God is behind all of these kinds of decisions. When you do that, it lasts forever. This makes your money last forever. You're not storing it up for stuff that's going to be dead you're not storing it up, but, but you're doing this in the midst of your relationship with God, and it lasts forever. It lasts forever. So, Jesus says, stuff doesn't last. The other thing that I think he's saying here is that stuff doesn't save. Stuff doesn't save. I think for us, it's not too much of a stretch to think about the satisfaction that we get from stuff as a small form of salvation. Sometimes when we're after happiness, we are trying, it's like we want our stuff to make us happy. We want our stuff to make us satisfied. Um, when we live as though what's most important is the next thing, the next even promotion, the next paycheck, the next amount of money. When we begin to live for things, stuff becomes like a false god. When we begin to orient our lives around our things, when our decisions are much more about the things that we want uh, because we think they'll make us happy, at that point, our stuff becomes like a form of salvation. Um, and when we think about it that way, it seems kind of silly that we would do that because most of us know better. And yet the temptation um, to look to our stuff to save us is prevalent. I mean, it's real. I mean, how many people do you know who are living for things? How many people do you know who live for what they drive? or who live for what they wear, or who live for, uh, I mean, you can fill in the blank. How many of us, <laughs> right? Let's not think about others, right? How many of us live for the stuff that we have? Um, not in a way that makes it involve our relationship with God, but we just need it to be happy. I think Jesus is telling us that 
um, not only does our stuff not last, but our stuff can't save. And I think those things kind of go hand in hand because wanting things to last, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if you could buy a car or a phone that would make you happy for the rest of your life? Like the last one you'd ever have to buy. Right? That's kind of what we want. You know, because we want things that will last. Uh, it's almost like inside of us, there's something that wants to live forever. You know, and we have this longing for a quality of life where we could be satisfied, we could be happy, um, and that happiness wouldn't go away. That's in us because we're made in God's image. Um, that's in us because God made us to know him. And the truth is that the only one, the only thing that can make us, that will last forever, the only thing that can save us is a relationship with him. And so this is where we bring the gospel back in and we remember what it means to be justified. Remember what it means to be justified. Justification is this amazing blessing that though we have sinned, though we fall short of God's perfect standard, though we deserve to be punished for the sins that we've committed, God has come into the world to save us. Jesus tells us our stuff doesn't last, that our stuff doesn't save, because Jesus came to save us. And justification is this truth. It's this amazing blessing from God. Um, that says that God will accept you, not because of what you do or because of what you have, but God will accept you because of Jesus, because he came to save you, because he set his love on you. And if you trust in Jesus, if you want a relationship with God, if you commit to following Jesus, then God says, you have enough. Okay? No matter what you have, if you have faith in Jesus, if you are trusting him with your life, God says you have enough. Without this truth of justification, life inevitably becomes a rat race. You can never have enough of anything else because nothing else can satisfy. Um, and yet a relationship with God gives you that deep and personal satisfaction And so the answer here, the answer here for us is I, I want you to connect these things. Jesus came, Jesus warns us against our stuff because he wants to set us free. He wants to free us um, so that we won't pursue things that don't last. And it's amazing because on the cross, Jesus ended his life. Right? Jesus, who in his perfection should have lived forever, ended his life, gave up his life. It ended. It, Jesus' life didn't last because Jesus took the destiny that we were headed for. Not just destroyed, not just moth-eaten, not just rusted, but crucified. Jesus was crucified because everything else will end. 
but Jesus lives forever. And so Jesus wants to set us free. He wants us to stop pursuing happiness. He wants us to stop pursuing salvation from things that won't last because he offers himself. He offers himself. And so what justification means is that God forgives you not based on what you have, but based on who he is. And when you believe that, it sets you free. It sets you free because now you don't need stuff to be happy because you have God. You have a relationship with him. And so these four ways to use money, okay, these four ways the Bible describes to use money, these are designed by God to help our relationship with him grow, okay? You can't follow these things and earn a relationship with God. That's not what justification is. Justification says it's not faith plus obedience equals salvation. Justification says it's faith equals salvation plus obedience. Okay? And I don't know if you remember this, but we saw that obedience is consecration. Obedience, obeying what God says, obeying the Bible's views on money and the ways to spend money, obedience is designed for you to deepen your relationship with God. Because if you tithe 10% of your income to the church, the thing that you're saying before anything else is you're saying God comes first in my life. You're saying, I'm living off 90% of my income. 60% after taxes. <laughs> um, and so when you, you are saying, God, you are first in my life. And justification, Jesus comes and gives not just 10%, but he gives everything. He gives his whole life for us. And God says, I want you to respond by honoring me and returning 10%. To me. So just one dollar in ten. But Jesus gave fifteen out of ten. When you use your money to provide for your needs, you are demonstrating God's faithfulness. You're demonstrating the way God provides. When you care for others, again, you're being the hands and feet of Jesus. And then when you celebrate God's goodness, you are reflecting the reality that God is a God of abundance. And there are times when God says, man, let's just enjoy this, even though we don't need it. And so these four ways of spending money, justification gives us this freedom to be able to walk in this so that we can orient our lives around our relationship with God. When we do this, when you do this, when you think this week um, about these four ways to spend your money, like you have an opportunity every time to deepen your relationship with God. Um, I was talking to someone last night uh, who is a department manager at the Nordstrom in Horton Plaza. And I was asking her what she does. And, um, and she works with someone who dresses all the mannequins. And, uh, and I said, you know, I've always wondered, I'm assuming this is true, but you could verify this for me. Um, when the clothing goes on the mannequin, like, does that cause a spike in the sales of those particular items? Like, it probably does, right? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, she's like, yeah, the clothes that are on the mannequin, because people can see it, you know? 
and, um, and they can see it on. And she said, yeah, the, 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 the sales always spike on that stuff. And I said, hey, that's really cool. I said, you know what that reminds me of? I don't know what your spiritual situation is, but I'm a pastor, you know that. And what that makes me think of is that so often, sometimes churches or Christians, they will talk about ideas about God. Um, and what people really need to see before they buy it is they need to see it actually on someone. You know? And so that's just what reminds me. In fact, I'm probably going to say this tomorrow in my sermon. Um, so thank you. Thanks for sharing this with me. And she said, well, wait, no, no, actually it's even better than that. Because what's even better than the items leaving the hanger and going on the mannequin is when the employees wear the stuff. The stuff the employees wear actually are the best sellers in the store. And she said, because people want to see it on someone. So look, as your pastor, I want to teach you what the Bible says about this stuff, not because I'm excited about the ideas, although I am. I want to see you wear this. Because what would San Diego look like? What would your circles of influence look like over time if you lived in a way that was truly financially free? What would it look like if the decisions that you made were free because you were following what God says? What if you were able to stop making decisions to match up to a lifestyle and you were able to make decisions that began and ended with God's plan for your finances, for your money? Like how amazing would it be if you were free from financial worry? What kind of testimony would that be? That's what we're aiming for. And so over the course of this month, I want you to put these truths on and walk in them. This week, if you do nothing else, just go back over your finances. If you're married, do it together as a couple. If you're in a relationship, do it as a couple. And look, look and see how would you like categorize, like what are the percentages in these four areas for you? Like what, what does your pattern look like? And then ask yourself, just begin to pray, God, what can we do to get closer to this? If you do that this week, then this will be the beginning of what God's going to do in all of us over the course of this next month. Pray with me. Father, thank you for caring about us enough to speak to areas um, not just that are difficult to talk about, but more importantly, areas where we desperately need to experience your freedom. Father, we confess. We confess, Lord, that so much of our worry and our concern revolves around money. And I pray, Lord, that you would draw near to us. Father, would you help us to see you in, in this process this month Help us, Lord, to open ourselves up, to turn toward you. And to at least just this week, help us to look and see where we are spending our money now. So that we can bring that into your presence. And if there's areas where we need to confess as sin, then we will do that. Lord, if there's areas where We've been spending money the way you want us to, but we haven't been thinking about it. Lord, what a blessing that will be to become more intentional 
Father, in all of these things, we want to invest our lives in things that last. We don't want to be caught up in the lies and the deception of our culture. Father, we want to be free. And so thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that our salvation, our real happiness in this life and in the next comes from knowing you. And help us, Lord, to encourage each other. There may be some difficult decisions that some of us have to make. I know there are. Lord, would you be with us? Would you remind us in all these things that Jesus gave everything for us to know you? Help us to consecrate this area of our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.